0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. So good to be here today for me. Last couple of Sundays I've had to be gone. I think two Sundays ago, ago I was in uh, West Texas and, and then last Sunday in Oklahoma. So it's very good to be here today, and I'm going to try to be here a little bit more this month. Uh, If you notice the schedule, I'm going to speak a couple of times and make up for a little ground that I've missed. And, of course, we have good speakers here, and I don't worry about it when I'm on the road, and that's a wonderful blessing to have. So good to see you today, and if you've got a copy of the study, notice the outline, and then on the back side... You'll see that all the scriptures are typed out there for you and I know it's small print but to get them all on one side I I had to uh, shrink the font a little bit. The order of them is down in the bottom left there of your chart and, and also in the bottom right that we'll be following and and I want to look first at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17 and 18 to introduce our thoughts today. 1 Peter four seventeen and 18. Peter said, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? I want you to notice in the passage Peter's raised several questions about the salvation of mankind at the judgment. And in doing that, he's given us a contrast of different groups of people that will be there on that occasion. And I want to notice some of these groups and notice the sentence that's given in each case to each group. Before we do that, though, I want to to look at this contrast first. And uh, let's notice now, it's over in the top left. Some of it's in blue, other parts in red. And you'll see quite a contrast here. He said, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now what is the house of God? 1 Timothy 3:15 Paul writes to Timothy and said, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the house of God is the church. And Peter may as well have said and actually he did in reality May as well have said the time has come that judgment must begin at the church. Think about that. Judgment begins at the house of God. And he said, uh, if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? He's contrasting here the house of God with them that obey not the gospel. Notice that contrast. The us and the them. So we have house of God, we have them that obey not the gospel. He talks about the us at the house of God, the them that obey not the gospel. And then he says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? So he's made a contrast between righteous and the ungodly and sinners. It's quite a contrast when you look at it. But he also raised some questions that we want to answer. And maybe you didn't catch the the questions, let's notice them again. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? What's going to happen to people, Peter asked, who do not obey the gospel? And Paul answered that in 1 Thessalonians, actually 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 to 9. Paul said to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What happens to those that do not obey the gospel? He said they're punished with everlasting destruction. Then He raised another question. He said, If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? What's going to happen to the ungodly and to sinners? And David answered that in Psalm 1, verse 5 and 6, when he said, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." So he says the ungodly and the sinner won't stand in the judgment, they perish. So that's quite a contrast. You can see the different groups there. You can see the the difference made between the sentence that's given to each group. And I want to talk about these groups and identify some of them. And then talk about the different sentences. Before we do that, however, I want to talk a little bit about the judgment itself. And I know sometimes, brethren and friends, we get away from from the judgment. People shy away from preaching on it. Sometimes it's not a very pleasant thought. But I believe that from time to time we need to look down the road. We need to look ahead at what's coming. There's coming a great day when God's going to come unglued. Right now He restrains His wrath. He holds it back. He extends mercy. There will come a day when God will say, no more mercy. It's all over. You see that in his judgments in the Bible. There comes a time with nations that God tolerated a whole lot. And he would put up of the evil of nations for years and years. Now sometimes hundreds of years. But eventually he would get enough. And when God gets enough of something, God's dangerous. When God comes unglued, we don't want to be uh, unglued. We don't want to be on the other end of His wrath. I can tell you that. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. But there is a day in the future for every one of us when Jesus returns, that we're going to have to stand in front of Him and be judged. Now I've never had to come before a judge in this country and be tried for a crime, and probably most of you, if not all of you, haven't either. We've just never had to face that. But I think if I had to go before a judge, I might want to know a little bit about that judgment setting. I might want to know something about the laws. I'd like to know a little bit about that judge. In fact, maybe a whole lot about that judge. What's the judge like? You see, there's a, there's a judgment coming for us. And we need to think about the judge and what's, what's he like? What's the standard of judgment and what's the judgment all about? Let's talk about some things about the judgment. First of all, when you think about judgment, the the judge is just simply Christ, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. So Christ then has been appointed to be the judge of, of quick, that is, living and dead. And God has made that appointment. And, and I don't know of a better judge that God could have found if He searched the universe. You see, Jesus is the most unique being in the universe. There's nobody like Him. He's the only one of whom it can be said, He is God and man. He has the nature of both. That's interesting. Think about that a minute. He is God and He is men. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says this about Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So Paul declared that Christ was equal with God, that He was in the form of God. And the Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 9 concerning Jesus, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You can't be more divine than Christ. You can't have any more deity than Jesus. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that means this. That nobody knows the divine side of things like Christ does. At least not any more than Him. Because He is divine. He knows how God thinks. He knows God's holiness. He knows God's will. Because that's His will. He knows everything that there is over on God's side of things and how He feels about things. And what He demands and what He expects. He just knows that side completely. And so he's going to know and, and represent that quite quite well in judgment. But he has another side to him too. He knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to live in a body like this. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be tired and weary at night and needing sleep and rest. The Lord knows what suffering's all about. He has felt pain. He knows what it's like to be a small child, or a teenager, or a young adult. He knows what manhood's all about. He grew into a very strong man. He knows what it's like then, what we experience. The Bible says that He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So when we stand in front of Him, He's going to know all of our feelings, all of our weaknesses, all of our passions. All of the things that subject us to temptation. He's experienced all of that. And so he's going to know everything on God's side of things and everything on ours. Now who could God get to render judgment on you and I that's going to have this kind of knowledge? No one. And that's why I said at the beginning he's the most unique person in the universe. There's nobody that God could have selected more qualified than Christ. Now, when you think about Christ, He's also righteous, and that's very important because we see judges in this land at times that pervert judgment. Some of them can be bribed. With some of them, it makes a difference who you are, who you're kin to, what office you hold, the color of your skin, maybe your wealth and social standing. There's all kinds of things that sometimes judges consider, and they pervert judgment. And we hear people talking a lot in this country about having a two-tiered justice system to where those that are in power, those with might, those that hold high office are held to a different standard than the rest of us are. And so we see people in high office many times guilty of very, very serious crimes. Nothing's done about them. They're never brought before the law and sometimes even if they are, they're either let go free or the sentences are liked. Judgment's perverted. And the question might arise, what's Jesus going to be like in that area? Is it going to make a difference with Him who we are? What our skin color is? Who our father or mother is? What office that we've held? How much land we own? How much wealth we've accumulated? I would say to you, none of that stuff matters to Christ. The Bible says He's righteous. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, Paul said henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love is appearing. So Paul declared him to be a righteous judge. The Bible says in Romans 2 and verse 11 for there is no respect of persons with God. And so it's not going to matter when you and I come before God who we are. If you think the color of your skin, or who you are, or the wealth that you have, who your parents are, what office you held in the church, whether you preached or were an elder, or the wife of an elder or deacon, or whatever like that is going to make some kind of difference with the Lord, it's just not. Because He's going to look at each person, and He's going to render the right judgment that ought to be meted out in that particular situation and there is no respect to persons. He cannot be bribed, and he will not pervert judgment according to who we are or what we have. And so that's the kind of judge we're going to face. We've got to understand that. This fellow's impartial. He doesn't care about our lowly status here. Is he a judge that has knowledge? Is he qualified, somebody might ask. I don't know of anyone more qualified or anyone with more knowledge. And the thing is, he's going to uh, he's going to have an advantage over judges in this country. You know, when we go into a courtroom here today, what happens? Witnesses are brought in, and they testify certain things. Well, the judge listens to that, and so does a jury. And a decision will be rendered based upon the evidence. Sometimes there is video. Sometimes there might be. Uh, telephone records or bank records, any number of records of various kinds or pictures and photos or, or just different things. And all of that's piled in as evidence and all of that's weighed. But you see, Jesus won't need any of that. He won't have to ask somebody, could they come in and testify to him about Pat Manning? He's going to know Pat Manning. He won't have to suborn some witness to testify and tell him all about you or me? Because he'll already have that information. In John 2, verse 24, 25, the Bible says here, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And if you think back on the life of Christ, remember when his enemies would get in these little groups and they'd huddle up and they'd plot against him. And they'd get out of distance of hearing from him and think that what they were murmuring and whispering to each other that he didn't know. And Jesus was reading their thoughts like yesterday's newspaper. He knew every word they muttered. And though it was in a low tone that the human ear really couldn't hear, the Lord knew it. And he would look at them sometimes and even interrupt them. And he would say to them, What think you in your heart? Or why reason you in your heart? He was reading their speech when he couldn't even hear it. And so when we come before him, he'll know us. He'll know us better than we know us. And he'll read us like yesterday's newspaper. In fact, he already knows the news. He doesn't need to read about us. He will know everything we've ever thought, said, or done. Because he has that kind of knowledge. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we're talking about a judge then that knows everything about us, even things we've probably forgotten he may remember. And things that are not forgiven are still on our record. And that's why we need forgiveness. You see, we can't afford to take our record and come to this judgment without these things we've done being forgiven and blotted out. Because if they're still against us, He's going to know them. And everything is going to come out. What if you were to come up before this assembly this morning and And we were to learn every thought that you've entertained in your life? Would you want that known? Not a one of us would say yes. What if we would like to come up here in front of everybody today, just this small little group, and every word we've ever said could be made known to everybody here. They would hear every word that's come out of our mouth. Wouldn't that be humiliating? And what if everybody here was brought forth one by one and every one of us could know every deed that that person's done in their life? And that's all shared with us. Not a one of us would want that kind of scrutiny, would we? And that's what we're talking about with Christ. That's what I'm trying to get over to us. We will have a judge that will already know all that information. And so it behooves us then to be forgiven of everything that we've said, done, and thought, doesn't it? Before we get to this judgment. That's the need for our study this morning. That's what I'm trying to say to us. Now when a judge renders judgment too, let's think about this. They have a standard by which they judge. They have laws. We have laws in this country which judges use to render their decisions by, so will Christ. And that will be God's word. And in John 12 and verse 48 and 49, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So it's going to be the word of God then, depending upon what covenant we were under. If we were under the old covenant and lived back under that law, that will be the standard back there. If in this age we need to obey the gospel, that will be the standard. If we are in covenant relationship with the Lord, this New Testament we're under will be the standard by which we're judged. And so he will look at each person and their situation and their their point in history when they lived and what his will was at that day. And that'll be the standard by which judgment will be rendered. And that'll be a very interesting judgment. Nobody else is capable of doing that. And you know, when these uh, When these words of the law of Christ, whatever age we've lived in, are opened that day in front of us, there are a lot of people that are going to be surprised. I think Judgment Day is going to be very surprising to billions of people, maybe, because they're going to learn that day that the Lord demanded things of them they didn't know, asking them to refrain from things they didn't know either. And the reason most people don't know things is they don't study this book. They know a lot about history. They know a lot about trivia. They know a lot about many things in this life. Really just worthless information. But how many people really know this book? And yes, this will be the very standard by which you and I are judged. And so that's why we often talk to the congregation here about studying and about getting a knowledge of the Bible. We need to know the Word of God because that's that's the standard by which we're judged. So these are just interesting things that we need to think about concerning the judgment. And and uh, now let's, let's look at some of the groups that will be there. And what I'm trying to do today is is simply have us look down the road to that very day when the Lord returns and we've got to give this account The first group I want to mention are simply the the righteous, the ones that Peter mentioned there in this contrast. When he said this in 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved. Now, friends, that means exactly what you think. The righteous scarcely be saved, Peter said. Jesus said that only a few are going to make it. Have y'all ever been to a funeral when somebody didn't make it? I've never been to a funeral where somebody went to hell, have you? Everybody goes to heaven. And if you hear a a funeral to the contrary, let me know. I don't know if I've ever heard one. But Jesus didn't see it that way, did he? In Matthew 7, Would you read there verse 13 and 14? He said, Enter you in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now I didn't say that. Jesus did. This is the merciful Christ. And the Lord said just a few are going to make it. Look at this diagram here. See, the Lord in those verses pictured He pictured two groups, the few and the many, two gates, a straight gate and a wide gate, two ways, a narrow way and a broad way, and two destinations, life and destruction. And he said that uh, there would be just a few saved. Few, he said, there be that find it. Very few people will go to heaven out of billions that have walked across the face of this earth since Adam just a very few are going to make it to heaven. Think about that. So if the Lord came today, we wouldn't expect billions to be taken to heaven or maybe not very many millions, even if that. Just a very few people. Why? There's a parallel verse to Matthew 7. It's found in Luke 13, 24. And Jesus kind of gives a reason there. Would you read that passage with me? Christ here said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. That word strive there is interesting. I even put the Strong's number down for you there. It's word number 75 if you want to do a word study on it. And it has a form of agony in it. You'll notice that's literally what it means. It means to agonize. Agonize to enter in at the straight gate. In other words, strive. We would say in our vernacular, strain every nerve or give it all you've got to get in this straight gate. Because the Lord said many will seek to enter in and they'll not be able. What does he mean there? Well, let's picture a fellow that uh, he comes up to this gate and he'd like to get through there and get on that way to everlasting life, but On his back, he's carrying these huge bales of self-righteousness. And so this is a fellow that's got his, uh, he's pretty safe about his religion, feels pretty good about the church he attends, or thinks he hasn't really lived too bad of a life. After all, he does pretty good. He's not as bad as some people. And what he doesn't understand is he's a sinner like everybody else. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. And this fellow is self-righteous. And there's plenty of room for him to go right through this straight gate, even though it's restricted. But there's not room for his self-righteousness. And he's going to have to unload that, but a lot of people can't. If they're in error, they won't give it up. They're not honest. And so they don't make the effort, you see. They don't strive to enter in. And even though they can see that what they're doing, even in the the church they attend, is contrary to the Bible, they're not going to quit practicing that. Because they have this self-righteous attitude, I'm okay, and really it doesn't matter, and one's as good as another. And that's what the world tells them, and they have swallowed those lies. Here's another fellow that comes to the gate, And he would love to get on that way that leads to life everlasting, but he's got a problem here. You see, this fellow loves the bottle. He loves his alcohol. And there's plenty of room for him, but not for his boots. And he won't give this up. Because you see, that's not that valuable to him to walk this narrow way that leads to life even though there's everlasting life on the end of his journey. He loves more his liquor and he will not give it up. There's all kinds of things that restrict people. And that's why Christ said strive to enter in at the straight gate, many will say, uh, many I say and you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now either one of these fellows can come right over here to the wide gate and take their self-righteousness and their booze and their drunkenness and go right on in and walk this broad way. But it's going to take them right to destruction. And so the Lord said just a few are going to make it. Are you in that group today that's walking that narrow way that leads to life? Let's look at another group. And for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call this group those who are religiously wrong. I just talked a little bit about them here in this illustration. Those that are religiously wrong. And, and the Lord gave a very heart-rending uh, scene about these people at the judgment because they're really going to make some special pleas to Christ. Matthew 7, if you're looking there with me, verse 21 to 23. Christ said, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now listen, many will say to me in that day, not a few, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works." And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And if you'll notice, these are religious people. You see, these are not drug dealers here. They're not They're not prostitutes. These are not pimps. These are not uh, thieves. These are not extortioners. These are folks that are religious. And they're going to plead and, and beg for entrance of Christ into heaven based upon the fact that they knew who he was and did certain things. And some are going to say to him, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. Lord, we got up and spoke publicly in your name. These are preachers. These are teachers. These are religious workers that talk to others maybe about Jesus. They knew the name of Christ. They said, we prophesied in your name, Lord. In your name, Lord, we cast out devils. And whether they did or not, they tried. And they're going to urge that upon Christ. And then again, some are going to say to him, Lord, in your name, we've done many wonderful works. Now, these are folks that have visited hospitals, visited the sick, given money to those that maybe were in need about them. Have clothed those that were naked and, and fed the hungry. They are people full of good works and they're going to they're urge entrance of Christ into heaven. Lord, in your name we did many wonderful works. These aren't, these aren't terrible people as we think about humanity and some of the vile characters among us. These are folks that go to church every Sunday, some of them three times a week, maybe some of them more. And what will Christ say to these folks? I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. What he's saying there basically is, you never were mine. You see, these are folks that thought they were his. They didn't investigate the word. They had a different plan of salvation. That's what taught in the Bible, and they thought they'd obeyed a plan there that had gotten them salvation, and they were mistaken on it, and Maybe they were so narrow-minded or so prejudiced that like this self-righteous man, they wouldn't investigate. They didn't want to hear any other view. I've got a brother that way. He'll say to me, Pat, I don't want to talk the Bible with you. I don't want to talk about it. We're satisfied with where we go and with what we do, and I don't want to hear anything else. And he refuses to talk, and I can't talk with him. And so we talk about other things. Because he's not going to investigate his religion. And there's nothing he wants to change. And so there's not anything basically that you can do. You can't say anything. He doesn't want to hear it. And to say anything would just be to drive a greater wedge and there's no need in it. And so you just have to have what relationship you can. My father was the same way. I told Dad one time, I said, Dad, it's interesting. You and I can talk about everything. We can talk about sports. We can talk about current events. We can talk about politics. And we can't talk about the one thing that's the most important thing in the world, and that's Christ and the Bible. And you know, with my family, I can sit down with with many of them, and we can have a very nice meal together. We could celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas, have a real nice meal on those occasions, but we don't sit down together in a common assembly and break bread, take the Lord's Supper, the most important thing that we can eat. We can't do that. And so there's just some sad things about, about religious people that are religiously wrong and, and don't want to make an investigation. You know, the Lord knows His children. The Bible says, if you'll read with me in John 10, verse 1, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. There's one way into the sheepfold. In, in verse 27 of John 10, listen to Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Christ knows every one of his sheep. And he said, my sheep will hear my voice. That is, they'll follow my word. And I know them, he said. They follow me. So the Lord knows those that are his. And so what I would say to us this morning is, don't be like those here that are religiously wrong. Check your religion while you're here. And it's a very simple thing for us to change. Why wouldn't we want to change if we're wrong? You know, if I'm, if I'm going down a wrong road, for example, and somebody tells me, hey, you're going the wrong direction. You've gotten off the road that leads where you're going. I'd be a, I'd be a fool to not take their advice and turn around and get on the right road, wouldn't I? What about this road that leads to life? And if somebody's got correction to offer me and I'm going the wrong direction, they're doing me a favor by telling me. They're not my enemy. They're my friend. And yet to so many people, they really become an enemy. There's another group I want to mention, and that's those that are unfaithful Christians. Because they'll also be at judgment. And their fate is going to be horrible because it's going to be worse than any capital punishment we can think of. If you'll you'll read with me from Hebrews 10, verse 28 to 31. The Bible says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and had done despite under the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So he talks about in verse 28, the one that despised Moses' law and died without mercy. And I want to look at an example of that in Numbers 15 there, if you'll read with me. Verse 32 to 36, Of a man that despised Moses' law and died without mercy. The Bible says that while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done unto him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this man despised Moses' law. He he worked on the Sabbath when God said, Don't do that. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt do no work. And he knew that law, and yet he's out gathering sticks, and they catch him and don't know what the penalty is, They know he's violating the law so they put him in ward. That means they locked him up. And God told Moses I want you to take him outside the camp and I want the congregation to stone him. And God just wouldn't put up with it because if God had let let this man go or the next man might want to plow or the next person might want to work on his house and before long nobody respects his law you see. And so God just had them punished right there and This fellow was executed and put to death. That's a horrible way to die. You know, if I had to pick a way I wanted to be executed, it sure wouldn't be stoning. I think I might take a firing squad or a guillotine or lethal injection or electrocution or about anything before stones. But this fellow was stoned to death. And you think of the worst capital punishment you can think of and then think about the punishment on Judgment Day. Because this this passage in Hebrew says of how much sore or or worse punishment shall he be thought worthy that's trodden underfoot the Son of God. Or counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. Peter put it this way, 2 Peter 2 verse 20 to 22. He said of Christians, for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to know the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So there is a worse punishment, you see, for the erring Christian than for those who never knew the way to salvation. And those of us that are Christians should remember this. The last group I'm going to mention, and we'll close our study after this, is those who have rejected Christ. Sometimes we refer to them as the alien sinner, those that are alienated by sin and have never never sought forgiveness, who have really basically said to Christ, I don't want you ruling me. Jesus talked about these in Luke 19, 27. He said, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. So Jesus considers us an enemy if we don't want Him ruling over our life. Think about that. How would you like the Lord, the Creator of, of everything you see about you, to consider you His enemy? And that's what he says here. And he says, bring these enemies and slay them before me. I'll tell you, I think if we're a sinner on the day of judgment and we've never we've never obeyed the gospel, we've never been baptized into Christ, it's going to be quite a scary situation when he returns. How many sinners do you think will will make the statement, hey, Jesus has just returned? I get to go be judged. Not a one of them will look forward to that judgment, will they? In fact, I don't think they'll come willingly, as the Bible indicates. The Lord talks about sending angels to gather people up, to send His angels out. If you'll look there with me at Matthew 13, verse 41 to 42. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So these are people that are are not going to go, they're not going to go to judgment very, very easily, they say. It's just not going to be within them to volunteer, is it? I don't know much about executions. Some people are opposed to them, and some people favor them, and I'm not into the political aspects of it, but I could imagine being on death row and you hear stories sometimes of of, of people that are on death row and when the wardens or when the guards rather come to to bring them down to the place of execution. Sometimes they break down and they cry terribly or they beg and plead for mercy or some plant their feet and almost have to be dragged. Others probably faint under the, the stress of that moment and maybe have to be carried to that place, or revived and then brought. It's got to be a very stressful moment for many. And uh, it's going to be quite stressful on the day of judgment. I think for the sinner, he'll probably wish he could cease to exist. The Lord talks about a judgment in Revelation 14, and this is not the final judgment. These are, are just for those that follow the beast. And I want you to look at what it says here. He says, says of them the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God that is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. In other words, they're going to get undiluted wrath from God and you don't want God's wrath if it's full strength. It's not diluted here, he says. It's poured out without mixture. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of, of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So it's just torment day and night in this place. And uh, no wonder, no wonder somebody that's rejected Christ, who doesn't want him ruling over them, is going going to dread the scene when he comes back and they think about what's awaiting. I know this is sobering to think about this morning and I've done it on purpose because I want us to think about it. So I'm going to raise this question for each and every one here. If the Lord returned today to render judgment, to judge the living and the dead, what group would He find you in? Would you be among the, the righteous? Peter said you'd scarcely be saved. Would you be among those that that are religiously wrong? You would hear Christ say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Would you be among the unfaithful Christians who would find for them a a punishment worse than than the most hideous kind of capital punishment you could ever imagine? And finally would you be among that group that will not let Christ rule their life who that day will wish they could just be buried under mountains of earth and rock. There's a scripture in Revelation 6 verse 15 to 17. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the face of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? These are people here in Revelation six would rather be buried under an avalanche than to have to face Christ. So if he returned this day, what group would you be in? And do you need to make a change this morning? That's the purpose of the study, to give us that opportunity to think about things. And if you find that you are a person who needs to do something about your soul, this is a wonderful opportunity you have today and an invitation from the Lord to come to him. And he's offered to freely forgive everything you've done. And he'll do that today if you'll come. If you'll just come forward and say, you know what, I need to be baptized into Christ or Or I need some prayer. I need somebody to study with me. I need some help. Somebody here will be willing to do that. Uh, We won't be judgmental. This is not a a judgmental group. It's a group full of love and mercy. And uh, we have compassion upon those that come to Christ as he's taught us to do. So if you need our Lord today, we invite you to come as we all rise and and sing this song of encouragement to us. Would you come? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.